0: Hey, you're listening to Dev Interrupted, the podcast made for engineering leaders who want to continuously improve. Today's guest is Ian Noland, the SVP of core engineering at Datadog. Ian joins us to share his experience coaching engineering managers and how the reality is different from the books. We get into Ian's seven categories of engineering management, how to take your ego out of your mistakes, and how to measure the impact of your team.
1: This episode is sponsored by Linear B. Give your dev team the power to improve with team based metrics, high risk code alerts, and the world's first project board based on real time Git activity. Sign up free at linearb.io.
0: Ian, thank you so much for coming on the pod today.
1: Pleasure to be here.
0: Awesome. So our topic today is all about engineering management and kind of what it means beyond just reading a book or going to a conference, you know, kind of what happens when you get in the trenches of engineering management is a little bit different than maybe what you've read in a book before. Okay, so I wanted to start out here and talk about the concept of coaching. Can you talk about some of the realities of coaching as an engineering manager in your experience?
1: Yeah, I think so. I've been in the industry for twenty years now, and ten of as a manager. So I've seen plenty of managers and how they do it with me, and I've sort of done it myself. And I think the biggest thing, like you read, you read about one-on-ones and you read about coaching, and there's always like formal techniques and about asking questions. And what I've observed in terms of uh, myself and people I've talked to is very few people do it by the book and it's actually completely fine. Um, th- so the way I look at management generally is like all these things you read or listen to. If you can find one thing that you can authentically do as yourself, then it's actually the way that it goes. And so what I find with coaching is there's this other aspect of one on ones where people say, oh, they shouldn't be tactical. They should be strategic and they should all be about your career. And, and it's another one that's actually never been true in my career. In- instead, all my one-on-ones have always tend to be tactical in terms of solving problems. And that's been upwards with my manager and sort of downwards. And so, and what I find out of that is, this movement between maybe advising and listening and then actually formally coaching when you really see them having a problem is actually extremely fluid. Like I, it's not something where you very deliberately think, ah, I need to coach now. What are my coaching techniques? Instead, what you tend to get out of this is like, yeah, open-ended questions are a great way. Not saying what your opinion is, but eliciting in terms of, th- these are great things to do. But I find almost, yeah, no one does it by the book. Everyone, it's just this very, very subtle shift um, with, with the difference being, you know, when people have performance problems and that that's where it's, okay, This person. For the next month, I'm going to have this topic in my one-on-one and I've got to get them through it. But to me, it's actually much more rarer than sort of what you read.
0: Yeah, I actually really like that you kind of brought up the thought process of those open-ended questions, because from my experience, that kind of allows the person you're, you're coaching, maybe that's a team leader in your, in your example here, to kind of figure things out on their own. Are there any general engineering open-ended questions that you try to ask to lead them in a direction?
1: So my technique, uh, and I don't know where I picked this up from. So so I do lots of sideways one-on-ones. And what I like to do is hey someone else has this opinion what do you think so so and and when i you know people who sort of know me know like it's just because someone tells me something doesn't mean i believe it. i always sort of give that caveat but it's more or less an opening to a conversation and i might really believe that person or i might not but what it is is it gives them a non like they're not conflicting me. They're thinking about what someone else has said and reacting to it. And it really opens up the conversation. Let's just talk about like different perspectives on, on things. And so I find that that's a great, it's been probably my most successful technique uh, to, as the intro to these conversations. Very cool,
0: very cool. And you know, Ian, during my research for this, this pod with you, I came across a really nice presentation that you made called Managing by Missing. And that's where you kind of broke down engineering management into seven areas and explain them uh, using examples of misses. So before we dive into those seven areas, maybe we'll pick a few of them. Can you just define what is a miss?
1: So misses is like any time anything has gone wrong and it and you could have potentially got in front of it and and, and so when, when you start thinking about things that way like there's a lot of these they're happening all the time But when you think about it as misses it's like okay I missed here that's okay how do I get it next time and particularly like the hyper driven people who are perfectionists, which is sort of my personality it's, it's one of those things that it, it's very enabling for you it stops putting so much pressure on you to be perfect in everything it's like okay We've got to learn as people we've got to learn as an organization so it's really taking a learning mindset to management i think um but but otherwise it's just like you know things go wrong in many ways of this it's just when something goes wrong and, and people somewhere uh, like it's either action or inaction that caused it on your yeah side.
0: it sounds like it's a little bit maybe softer than like a post-mortem where that's like very heavy and we did this bit we're dead now we did this big failure
1: Exactly. But the blameless part is big. Like it's just trying to separate yourself from your misses, like from your, for your failure. So, so, but yeah, I completely agree. It's definitely not, you don't want to write everything up or whatever, but the blameless part is very important. It's it's sort of taking your ego out of some mistakes that you made. That's a big part. Okay.
0: And it sounds like there's seven categories of where you could have one of these misses. Can you just give a high level overview of those seven categories?
1: It's going to of interesting. Can I do them off the top of my head? Um, and this was interesting. So people typically talk about the three P's in management, and what I found was, in my myself, if I just limited myself to my three P's, I wasn't actually capturing the full range of uh, engineering activity, and so. Um, So I basically split it up. So I talk about engineering. That's sort of how your engineers get stuff done. So as a manager, you might think about your code review process. Um, So it's basically the engineering process, not the engineering decisions themselves, which of course should be made by the engineers. Um, Second one, it's always easy to remember is uh, people management. So it's all of a gamut of people management, coaching, one-on-ones, hiring. That's probably when I started thinking about, like everyone used to say, well, people management is your most important thing as an engineering manager, Um, but but you're you're generally the point person for the other six things, and, and they all sort of blend together, and so people management is really important, my main thing, is probably still the most important one, but in terms of time, some weeks, it's not the thing that you spend the most time on. Um, Operations is the uh, other easy one to talk about. So generally, people today, it's sort of you build it, you own it, you run it. Uh, Operational needs sometimes directly counter the engineering needs. It's like this is the thing that keeps the lights on for the, the software running it. So operational activities. Um I, I then split like um sort of what, what sometimes you'd call like product manager, I split it up into like execution. So this is like how do you run scrums and sprints and things like that. And I separate that out from what I call I call product manager, sometimes portfolio manager, but this is like the story of your team, it's basically um, you know, what, what is your one-year roadmap? Uh, what, are the, what are the milestones guiding things forward? It's, it's often more of a communication where, of course, execution is like, oh, here's the, here's the things we have to, here's how we have to organize our people to hit our next four milestones. Uh, so let's fit those two up. I talk about companies as a really interesting area. This is one that it took me a while to understand as a manager that, like, I, I'm responsible for the culture of management and engineering across the company. And it's, it's a collective problem. And, and so you actually have to dedicate time to that as well. Uh, is that six or seven well, good uh, news I, I
0: have i have them in front of me here so we have the three P- p's right you or you have people product partners then you have execution operations engineering and the company
1: so, so the one i missed there and, and it, it's funny because it's it actually was a personal miss as well for a long time it's, it's sort of partners and, and what you learn I think over time being a manager is like managing is a team activity and like so it's not just you and your team a lot of how you are successful is peers partners these are people across the company at about your level and and having a social trust group there where you're collaborating to do the right thing for the company it's actually a big shift usually from an engineer who's used i've got four people and we're all working on the same thing it's like no no once once you get to like 10 people you're, you're accomplishing a lot more with your partners. And, and yes, yeah, so it's, it's a really important area. And, and it's funny I missed it because it, it was something I had to personally learn um, over my own career. Yeah,
0: so that, that's great. And I kind of want to pick a few of these to dive into. Some of them uh, uh, jumped out to me, but let's start with partners, which you were just talking about. Can you kind of give the example of what your miss was there and then maybe how you in, in, took action on that miss?
1: Yes. So what, with partners, what you tend to find is sometimes engineering teams just end up so below you. They'll end up fighting with some other team. And oftentimes it's like uh, they have different missions, but they overlap. And, and so they really, really argue on the overlap. And so when a, a personal miss, I, I think in the talk, I talk about one where I, I'd i actually got ahead of it. But it, it's a really important thing. So at, at my last company, a fintech called Two Sigma, I. Um, Basically, I, I had for legacy reasons, I had a team of software engineers who owned a network device and it was like they had no idea how to run a networking device. But what had happened like a year before was that uh, there wasn't good relationships between a network engineering team and a software team. And they're like, if you just want to use your own vendor, you've got to run it yourself. And the manager at the time said, oh, i have got to go do that. I find networking really exciting. Of course, a year later, this was just tech debt and all my team hated this. So I actually went to the the head of networking and said, "Can you take this?" Uh and her, her comeback to me was like, look, I just am not in a great place to be able to take this on. Uh, like, as much as I I, I agree, like software engineers should run networking devices. This is a different vendor. It's at a way different scale. Like, I, I can't do this. And so what I had learned from past me is like, I would have been really frustrated with her in, in sort of a past life. What, what I learned, though, was like, look, she's well-intentioned here. She, really, she can't. So, so I'm going to just keep up a good relationship here. I actually volunteered one of my engineers to help her out at a certain point. Um, to build a little bit of software even though it probably wasn't a priority and so finally about a year later um, i had to be patient but finally about a year later when this thing was really really now starting to impact the business i was able to go to her and say look i, I understand where you were can you now uh, take it and she just was like yes i understand like i trust that your team and you were trying to do the right thing for the company again in a past life when i got no from a peer I, I used to get really frustrated it's like ah, oh, they're they just see things their own way. Um, but that relationship, it's really a trust thing. And so so you have to be building it up. You have to, you know, sometimes I use the term social camera. You have to be showing that you have goodwill. And once you do that, people will do favors for you, even sometimes if it costs them within their own team. So, again, it was one I had to learn the hard yeah, way. Yeah, that,
0: that's a great story, right? You never want to burn bridges. You kind of, everyone has the right intent and you can use those bridges later on. You might not even know how uh, important they might be a, a year out out from now. So thank you for, you know, sharing that experience. The two other ones that I wanted to dive in here. Let's start with, uh, execution. Uh, with the execution category, can you go over your miss as well as the action to improve?
1: Yeah, so execution is one of those categories where I think managers experience misses all the time because planning is always in of software development, we all know is a really, really hard thing. So a small miss here is just typically like you had a milestone and you missed it. Um, and, and they they happen. you have to learn from it. You often learn with your team, how do we plan? But I, I think of a personal miss here, though, that, that was sort of bigger with something. So, I, so that was the first thing. This was uh, the first order aspect was we totally... Were missing a milestone um, And this was a really really big. I was in EC2 at the time I was managing a really big initiative. Uh, I'd been very successful in terms of hitting my milestones in the past and we were one month out and the engineers were coming to me and it's like, look, We just have way too many bugs. We're not going to hit our date. And what I did was uh, the big miss that I made is I I called it like optimistic date moving. It's basically it's like, okay, uh, I have this chance to sort of go to my leadership and say, look, we're way off and we we should do it. It's it's like, no, I'm I'm the high drive guy. I'm going to push my team. And so what what we did was like not do a full replanning, not sort of dive deep on the numbers make really optimistic assumptions, and we just shifted back a month. And, and like, I had no real data to do that. It was just a feeling because it didn't work for me in the past. Of course, we completely missed on a month. I just did it again. I shift, shifted back another month. Uh, and, and what I was doing with this, is, of course, was putting my team through a death, death march. Like, so basically, the pressure wasn't stopping. The pressure was building. Uh, actually, on the second thing, we got it out, but we got into production. We then had a really big bug. It was then like another month to pay that down. So, so what, what happened through sort of my personal miss in terms of not really deeply considering how to manage the narrative around missing a date was I put my team through, through a, about a six-month death march in the end. And so it was a really important lesson for me in terms of now, especially when I manage managers, it's like, look, let's not just... Optimistically replan re- because it's going to have consequences if we don't get it right. Uh, so that that was a big personal miss. Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: That, that's a tough one, and you know, I, I've been in the same situation. I think a lot, lot of us as engineering leaders, we want to deliver on time. We want to believe that we can make up, you know, the date and and make up the gap in time through through our people. But really, what happens is you start losing trust, you will lose trust with the people you're giving that, you know, one month push out prediction to. And also kind of the people underneath you, it probably doesn't feel too good to keep missing the date as well. Um, so I think that's something everyone, you know, in the engineering world has experienced time and time again. The other category that I, I did want to touch on is that engineering category. Again, can you identify the miss and kind of the improvement that you made?
1: Yeah, so and this, this one is actually, I'll, I'll go straight from the talk. Uh, this, this was an interesting one. So it's the exact same project about a year earlier. Um, and so there's, uh, it, it all just comes down to like unit tests. It's, it's a very, very dumb topic. But it, so we hired a lead engineer, a principal engineer who had come from uh, Microsoft, and he was a strong believer that unit tests would not write the system software. Uh, he was basically a strong believer that you need to do integration testing or black box end-to-end testing. And, and it wasn't that he didn't have data. He'd worked on a very successful product, and this had worked uh, incredibly well there. Of um, course, that was at a different company with a different culture. With the, the, and Microsoft at the time was very happy to hire a large number of software engineers in test who were very, very good. This was not, I was at Amazon, and this was not the case. So we sort of argued this out, but in the end, uh, he, he was the principal engineer. like He was the guy who like wrote 80% of the code in the end. And, and I remember talking to my manager at the time, and he's like, look, do you want this engineer, or do you want to be right? And it was, like, it was very, very clear that this was an engineer where I, I had to sort of adjust my, my mindset for, for his practice. And so we implemented a large amount of code without unit tests, And it was great when he was there, and we tried to write this integration test engine the way that he did. Um, the problem though, like what we all know, is like integration tests, uh, If you make them too fine-grained, they're flaky, and so you tend to skip some details. So Rolf Ford, he he ends up leaving. He he was great. He ended up leaving for a startup opportunity. Uh, Six months on, uh, and of course, I've got a new team of engineers trying to maintain his code, and there isn't the fine-grained test. And so, you know, what happened, of course, uh, bugs slipped into production, and it was like, you, know, you make a have a bug in ec2 and it's never going to be cheap and so the bug slipped into production uh and so, so when, I, when i sort of thought about this it's like okay like i don't think my miss was my argument like in, in the end management is all about compromise and, and i had to make the right, right compromise there really my miss was when he left the company and because it should have hit me at the time look i've got tech debt now and i just can't accept it like i, I just can't see junior engineers the, the the guy who actually had the bug was a fantastic engineer but it's like, yeah, you have these safety mechanisms for a reason. And so really, I should have changed the culture of a group like six months when, when the guy left. And, and that's, that's how I sort of saw my miss. Uh, but again, I had to make that mistake. I, I, you know, it, it was a really important lesson that, that I carried forward.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, very very interesting story there. I want to shift topics a little bit and talk about measuring impact. Can you talk about how you measure or manage the impact of your organization?
1: Yeah. So I guess one piece of context for this is like my org today is about 350 people. So I'm managing managers and managers. Um, And so it's interesting. uh, I guess there's another interesting aspect of management that uh, sort of highlights that what I do isn't necessarily right for anyone. Um, So the guy, I think his name is Michael Lopp. He talks about, and he has a, couple of books. He has a blog. He talks about this sort of difference in management personality between mechanics and organics. And so organics tend to be very intuition driven in terms of how they make decisions and mechanics tend to be a lot more uh, mechanism driven. And so I, I tend to sway organic, which means to me, uh, measuring will change over time. Like I'll do different things in different situations uh, very, very deliberately. So I, I could tell you like the first sort of thing that I'm measuring, uh, even though that it sounds like it's minor, is basically um, uh uh, basically misses in a way and so what what i call a miss at my level is a surprise and so what i expect my managers like i i, I misses will happen but what i expect them to generally be doing to, to me is surfacing a miss fairly early as opposed to us when, when it becomes much later it looks much more like a surprise and because there is these like seven areas i, I sort of have people will just naturally have tendencies where they ignore one. Maybe maybe you're great at engineering, but you're not the most uh, empathetic people manager in the world. And so maybe two resignations happen that you didn't give me any heads up on. So I'd say the first thing that I'm just measuring is just number of surprises. It's basically, and if, because my job is to sort of very much delegate as much as I can, if people, if I'm not being surprised and everyone's saying great things, um, then I, I don't tend to go too deep into their space. It's, it's a large part of sort of leading leaders. Um, the second thing, uh, like, I find engagement surveys aren't great because a lot of the time you're finding just sentiment as opposed to it. But I do find, again, when you find uh, four or five people saying the exact same thing in an engagement survey, it's a great way to just to like, it's, again, it's less measuring maybe than surfacing information, but it, but it is a really important part because it does say, I'd say though, like engagement surveys, I almost like throw away the numbers. I find they don't tell you a large amount in terms of differentiating between teams' real, real happiness and teams' real impact. Um, so then the third most important thing, probably the hardest, like, well, operations is the one that's actually fairly easy to measure. And it's the one everyone sort of keeps a pulse on because it's all about number of incidents, pager rate. And so, so that's one that you sort of do, I sort of find on the delivery. So this is where at the different levels there's different things. So, so I care a lot about like at the OKR level, at my level, like, are you doing what you said that you did? And if you're not, what's your story behind that? And so I find OKR levels. I think that's something then that as you get deeper in New York, so I, I wouldn't expect, say, a team lead to care about OKRs. I expect them to care about measuring scrum, like, I, you know, that classic burn down. Are you hitting burn down? If not, what's your story around it? So I, I find that's one. Delivery is the one where you want to have different mechanisms sort of up the org chart to sort of Give you a really good sense of what's going on, but like I don't, you know, obviously when you're managing 350, it's not like I care if the team's hitting that burn down chart. But I do care about it if they're hitting hitting their OKRs. It's, we said what we're going to do. We did or didn't do it. Here's our story. Is a super important part for organizations to keep delivering.
0: Great, great. Thanks for sharing sharing that, Ian. Um, kind of the last topic that I want to touch on here is around burnout. Now, burnout is also one of those more abstract concepts if you read about it, but then when it happens to you or is happening to your team, it can really hit home. Have you ever experienced burnout or had someone on your team experiencing it?
1: Yes. So it's interesting that sort of the the whole managing by missing talk came from uh, sort of a personal burnout that happened in that time in EC2 where, you know, I was... For me, and I think for a lot of people who burn out, like I was always my own harshest critic. So I was like super driven, uh, super, uh, you know, I, whatever it took was sort of my attitude. And, and what I found is I finally found myself in a situation 15 years into my career, whereas everything that I was doing, there was more and more problems coming in. And so in the end, what what happened? Like when, when you talk to people about burnout and when you, when you read about burnout, it's this sense of working way too hard and powerlessness around that and that's basically how i felt and it went on for a year um what was interesting for me is like at the some people sort of know it at the time like i would have completely denied that i was burning myself out like i it was just like and and it was just because what got me there in the past, like it was going to get me there in the future. And it really took me a year after burning out to say, oh, yeah, that was that was just me burning out. Like it, it, even personally like saying uh, that's what it was. And, and that year was like four months away from the job and then six months of starting to do it. And, and it was like for me what burnout was was because you feel – in the end, you control one thing in the world, which is, which is yourself, right? Like, and you don't even control yourself very well. And so the sense of powerless, you're always going to be somewhat powerless about what happens. And so part of the managing by missing, that, this was this idea that I have to be less critical of myself. I have to be less of a perfectionist. And, and that was a big part of sort of me really growing personally uh, in this area, like 15 years into my career, which it's funny because lots of people tend to burn themselves out in their 20s. And for me, it took a lot longer.
0: It's interesting because, you know, you mentioned kind of working too hard or, you know, workload overload. And we all know that that causes burnout. Why do you think that this actually happens to us, though, if we know that working too hard causes burnout?
1: So what happened to me, and I think it's what happened to everyone again. So everyone like we all high achievers. We're all harshest crazy, And so... This, when you're motivated by your work and you're working really hard you generally aren't burning yourself out and so like you know you're you're a problem solver you're a doer and so you, you but what happens it's this subtle shift at a sort of point where like this empowered motivated working hard becomes this like powerless oh this is just work like i've got to get on top of this because and, and you often find yourself and you you'd see this actually across amazon people would just find themselves in this situation where people around them would want to help but they couldn't actually like help without things getting worse and you don't want things to get worse right because you're a high achiever and so so I think it's just this subtle shift of motivated to demotivated and that's all about the power and I think it just takes time so what works for you for one month doesn't work for six months and for me it was like it was really four years it was probably like three years into it that this exact same workload finally became a problem. And it was the sense of powerless finally came in. It's like, oh, I, I, I can't stop this. Like, it, uh, and so I think that's the challenge for everyone is that like, what starts is fine. It's that time uh, is what makes it worse. Yeah, yeah, that
0: that makes a lot of sense. And have you ever had someone that's reporting into you? Either you're identifying that they're burning out, or they're telling you burn they're burning out. And if so, do you have any coaching tips there that our audience can take away?
1: So, the, the, I mean, this is probably steering towards my talk. Like the main thing, because so mostly I manage managers today, and that's mostly where I see. It. It's not that engineers don't burn out themselves. Um, but it's mostly where I've seen it now is with managers. So, so what I try really hard for them to do like a lot of the times what you're trying to do is avoid misses. Like it, it really is what the, you, you find people that like I know all the things that need to happen. And, and it's not they don't it's not quite micromanaging, but it's like, look, if I can make these five things happen, then everyone will be happy. But I'm the person who knows that. And, and so. So a lot of what I coach is like, first of all, like, you know, you grow through delegation. So, so and delegation is all about people under you making mistakes for them to learn themselves. Like, th- this is the hard thing sort of about humans is we all have to learn this ourselves. As much as we want to avoid misses, they have to happen for us to actually learn and grow. So a lot of the coaching I'm doing to managers is... Delegate like delegate misses will happen. I as a leader. I'm okay with that Like what I want to see is us all get better as a company Um, And I don't hold it against you when when misses happen. Um, It's hard though again people Generally the hardest thing is people are their own harshest critics and they're trying to avoid mistakes Uh, and and mistakes are just like lost time the wrong thing gets shipped some customer And, and so their intentions are all really good But they're burning themselves out doing it. So I'd say it's mixed success for me in trying to do it because Like I only learned about burnout by burning out myself. That's part of the irony of this. So as much as possible, it's trying to help people find it earlier rather than have to go through what I went through, which was, you know, it was probably 18 very tough months in my life.
0: Incredible. Thank you so much for coming on the pod today and sharing this great advice around engineering management. I know at Datadog, you're probably always hiring, but can you give us a little glimpse of uh, what's going on there and maybe, you know, how some of our engineering listeners could, you know, join up with you at Datadog?
1: Yeah, I've been been at Datadog uh, two years now. It's a really exciting company to be at. Um, It's sort of like... It's fun to work at a company where you're building tools for other engineers, like it's fun to know it. And so, uh, you know, know, really what came before me, they've built a great product here and uh, we're going through, you know, just sort of large amount of growth.
0: Awesome, so everyone definitely check out some of the open roles at Datadog and also be sure to join the Dev Interrupted Discord community. That's where we keep this type of conversation going all week long. You can find all of this information in the links in the description below thank you everyone and Ian you know thanks for coming on again and have a great weekend